0: I love your church. It's great, isn't it? It doesn't take long um, when you walk into a place to work out what's going on. Hey, they reckon within about the first 30 seconds in a building, people make their decisions about what's this, this place like. And I know for me, first 30 seconds was good this morning. I immediately felt, oh, what a good vibe. People are smiling and chatting, and uh, people said hello. So I think you're on a good thing here, true? Do you feel that way? It's going well. You're part of something special. Beautiful. Well, hang in there because uh, that's not always the case. When you find a great church, it's, it's something special to be part of and you don't want to part with that in a hurry. So keep on going. That's fantastic. Um, I wanted to start off with something. If you can forgive me, can I do something really kind of morbidly funny with you? Would you be okay with that if we start that way? Because I want to ask you to do something. If you've got your phone on or a pen handy, I want to get you to imagine um, that, Today is the end of your days. You've just passed away. You're at your own funeral. Uh, Your casket is out at the front of the church. And maybe uh, you've hovered up above uh, and you're flapping your little wings or whatever. And they're about to give the eulogy. By the way, you don't actually get wings. You don't turn into an angel. uh, But just just human me for a moment. You're flapping your little wings. And they're about to give the eulogy about you. You know when they say those nice things about you? i want to ask you this question you've just got 30 seconds what do you hope they will say about you in your eulogy if you got your phone on i just i want you to seriously write down two things or if you haven't got a phone or a pen try and fix your mind on something just just do two things what do you hope they will say about you how will people define you in that moment You got something? Give us a wave if you've got something. Even if you've got one thing. Give us a wave. One person. <laughs> Two people. We're not thinking about our lives at all, about what's important. You know, maybe at our funeral we'll start thinking about what should have I done? <laughs> Now's sort of the time to think about it, isn't it? In a, in a sense, it's a, it's a great moment just to think about, am I spending my life on what's important? What's really going to count at the end of the day is there's a famous Danish philosopher who's uh, called Kierkegaard, who said, we should define life backwards. If you think about that, that's really smart, because what will matter at the end of your days? If you think about what really matters at the end of your days, you'll be able to define what is worth spending your life on now? What's really important? It's It's a crucial question for us before our years are whittled away on the unimportant. I like to uh, search my way around YouTube and listen to a a few preachers, and I was listening to an interesting gentleman from the States, and he shared how he had a near-death experience. all sorts of weird and wonderful things happen in those moments. Uh, This guy said something really interesting. He's a very prominent minister in the States, or he was. He's passed away now, who'd done incredible things, just amassed enormous achievements. And he said when he had this massive heart attack... uh, he came face to face with Jesus, and Jesus asked him a question. Well, mine, my mind was racing. I'm thinking, oh, Jesus is going to pat him on the back and say, mate, all that stuff you did, that was incredible. What about when you did that? Or what about when you did this? And, and that thing over there, that was awesome. But he said, Jesus, just asked me one question. And then he was back in his body, or whatever was going on there, asked him just one question. He said, did you learn how to love? Did you learn how to love? Well, that surprised me when I listened to that. I I don't want to make a doctrine out of someone's experience. I don't want to make that the test of truth. I know that that's not where we're at as Christians. The word is what uh, is solid concrete for us. Nevertheless, I find that matches up pretty well with the word. When Jesus uh, made his pronouncement about what was really important in life, in fact, he said, You can sum up the whole law, you know, and all the prophets. So you can put all the Old Testament together and you can just sum it up in two things. So it's made it real easy for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, etc. And the second's like it. Love other people as yourself. So when I think about that gentleman's experience, I can't say if it was real or not or a vision or some crazy dream or some sort of thing. When your mind closes down, who knows? But I'm impressed that that lines up exactly with the doctrine that Jesus does give. that, And I can rest my life on that. Jesus tells us that one of the most important things that we can become, something that should really be central, something that we should set our compass to in deciding what's important in life, is that we should become a loving person. Now, I know what you're thinking, because if I was sitting there and someone started saying this, I'd be going, beauty, I've got a 20-minute nap here. (laughs) Because I've heard this in church so many times, you know, I can recite all the verses, but can I tell you something crazy? I don't know if I've met that many people in 35 years of being a believer who've pulled this off at a high level. I find that a little bit distressing and I'm including myself in it. To be a really incredibly loving person, to set your life on that. How would you define a loving person? Because I think the reason why we get bored with this idea, it's so familiar and familiarity breeds contempt or maybe we get a little bit inoculated about becoming a love, loving person. I think maybe we let ourselves off a little bit because we've got too low a picture of what that might look like. I'm a loving person, I'm a Christian. I'm a loving person because I'm nice. (laughs) Or, you know, when the news comes on and someone's suffering, I feel really bad for them. You know, I'm loving. Yeah, that's okay to a degree, it's a good place to start. But have you ever met somebody who has really got this one nailed? I've met a couple of people in my lifetime and I can tell you, if you're in their presence, you just feel loved. I don't know what it is. I don't think it's some skill that they've picked up. There is something other going on with those people. They've been so drenched in God that they radiate some of his presence. You're in their presence and you just feel loved. It's like bursting out of them. It's the Holy Spirit overflowing like it says, you know, it'll be like rivers of life overflowing from us. I've met a few people in my life like that and you stand in their presence and you're like, God's real. They're like some sort of a 3D apologetic for the existence of God because nothing else could do that. So do you mind if I set the bar high this morning and say, I reckon that's what we should go for. I reckon we shouldn't satisfy ourselves with just being sorry for the people on the news or being nice or, or whatever. I don't know about you, but one of my goals in recent times has become, I want to become that person. If I could finally get my head around it and put a lot of other things to, to one side, I'd like to set my compass towards being a loving person and doing that really well. Because Jesus says it's so important, it's the most important thing that we can do. Let me get you to imagine for a moment. Just close your eyes with me if you would. Imagine we're in early times of the first century and you're walking with Jesus himself in person and the disciples. Jesus calls your name and he calls you over and looks into your eyes. I just want you to rest for a moment and just think about what would you feel What's coming from him? All right, let's open eyes. Who, who, what's the first word that comes in your mind when you think about being in the actual presence of Jesus? You're with him in the flesh. What are you feeling? Someone brave enough to... You feeling love? Anything else particularly? Let's describe that a bit. What, is, what does that love feel like? Peace? Acceptance? For him to call your name? For him to call your name? Yeah. I miss that one, intentional? What's... Any other thoughts? Any other words that come to mind? Forgiven. Forgiven. I asked my family and they came up with very similar words that you have. They added things like safe. Safe. When you're really loved, you feel safe in that, don't you? You know there's going to be no wound. You can trust this person. No judgment. They're not the sort of person that's looking to find fault in you. They, the first thing they see is the good. They're lifting you up instead of tearing you down. A loving person makes you feel all of those things. They make you feel safe. They make you feel forgiven. You don't feel judged. You feel accepted. You feel peace. Is that the sort of person that you want to be this morning? Is that on your agenda of who you want to become? Because this is big enough that we should pause and check ourselves on it. I know you've heard be loving a million times, probably since you were little if you grew up in church. But since you've got to listen to me for another 20 minutes, why don't you make use of the time and just check yourself on it? How are you progressing in that? Because life is just so busy, isn't it? And if you're a goer at church, they sign you up for everything. And to the point, you probably don't have time to stop and think about where you're actually going and and what progress you're making. So you've got 20 minutes to think about it now. If Jesus says this is the big one, how are you travelling? The next question that I would want to ask is, well, if this is the big one, if this is what Jesus is asking, did you learn how to love? If he's saying, set your mind, set your compass towards being a really loving person then how do we become a really loving person? Because again, it's such a basic subject, but it never really uh, gets spelled out. How do we do that? So let me ask you, you might have better ideas than I do. How do you become a loving person? How do you do it? Any takers? Think about other of oh yeah, good word. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Start thinking about others. We put others before ourselves. We, instead of just constantly being focused what I want, we become other people focused, don't we? All right. You'll know this passage well because you've heard it at every wedding and you're going to probably cringe that I'm going to tell you to turn it up. But 1 Corinthians 13. It's such a bummer that we've overheard this passage because... You could just read this every day and you'd become an epic Christian, wouldn't you? If you could really like get this into who you are. How do we become that person? Let's quickly read this thing. Let's go from verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it isn't proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no records of wrong, love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth It protects, trust, always hopes, always perseveres. It's also interesting, the whole context of this book, I think is like our context culturally. Read the first couple of verses of the chapter with me. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have the faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. You see, I think what's going on culturally is that we're impressed by people with outstanding abilities Or who make outstanding accomplishments. Would you agree with that? Are they the heroes in our culture? Well, look what they've done in business. Look what they're driving. Look at their house. Look at the time they ran in that race, or look at their gold medals, or how good looking they are. Look what they've done in the gym. Look at that physique. Um, Look at the beautiful outfit they're wearing. We're impressed by accomplishments or we're impressed by incredible skills. And one thing i found in 20-odd years of pastoring is it's really hard to shake the culture that you live in out of the church. We live in that culture all the time, and we're being indoctrinated. And when we come into the church, we bring some of those values. And I can tell you, for most of my Christian life, I think I brought those values into the church. I was impressed primarily by people with amazing gifts, someone was a great speaker, I was impressed. If they were an incredible leader or built a great church or had some incredible outreach ministry or whatever, I was impressed by how skillful they were. I just brought my culture from the world into the church. But I think Jesus is doing something here that is going to mess with us because he's saying character, who you are has got to be more important than what you do. Who you are should matter to me more than how brilliant you are. So I think 1 Corinthians 13 is alerting us to something that's an issue for us now, not just back in the first century, because we're so impressed by all the high flyers of people who are greatly gifted, amazing abilities. We're impressed by the power people. So what Jesus tells us is counterintuitive. It's opposite to what we're used to. And if you're going to be a loving person, you're almost going to have to determine to be like a salmon and start swimming against a stream. You're going to have to go against the current of what we live in. You're going to have to set your sail against the wind because your culture is telling you, Be impressive, do outrageous stuff, do incredible things and then we'll give you a round of applause and you hear that all of your life and you start living it and believing it and that's what you give your life to. But Jesus is saying, sorry, my values are completely upside down to that. What I'm telling you is something totally different. What I'm primarily interested in is where all this is coming from. It's awesome if you've got a great gift, but if it's not coming from the place where I just love these people and I want to bless them, then it's messed up and it's just a clanging, it's just an awful noise. Have you ever heard a gong rung at the wrong moment when you're half asleep or someone, you know, banging one? It's not a pleasant sound and it's not a pleasant sound if a great ability is not coming from a place of love, but we're living in this. And if you want to be a loving person, if you really want to be the person that, not just talks about Jesus, but is Jesus. If you want to stop just being a representative and start being a representation so that when you walk in a room, you just don't come in to give them your tract and say, you know, Jesus loves you, say this prayer sign, this little tract or whatever. If you want to walk in a room and people go, I don't know what's going on with that person, but there is something like that is not normal here. And when they talk about God, even when they don't talk about him, I know what they stand for and who they are. And there's something else going on here. And I just sense that God's real. When I meet with that person, I want more. If you want to be that person, if that's where you're setting your compass for, then you're going to have to swim against the flow. You're going to have to stop being impressed by the power people that our culture is telling us to be impressed by. As a follower of Jesus, what we do is, the first thing is we're interested in is who we are. What have you become? Who are you becoming? A hot tip. I was doing a little job for a new age lady the other day. They're they're always interesting to have discussion with. This lady is also a life celebrant. She does funerals. She just happened to say to me in conversation that, well, we were t- I was talking to her about my background, and um, amazingly, I was a pastor for 25 years and never did a funeral. <laughs> which no uh, people come, but so if you ever come to my church, you can be guaranteed to live forever." <laughs> that was my little advertising line back in the day. She said to me, "You know, it's amazing at funerals, no matter how great the person is, no matter how successful. People only talk about one thing. Did he care about me? Did she love me? That's all they're interested in at the end of your life. I don't know about you, but I've put so much of my life into being impressive and kicking goals and and trying to accomplish things. And paid such little attention to what was happening on the inside as who I was becoming. I want to encourage you to be smarter than me. It took me a long time to figure it out, and I really hope, and I was impressed how welcoming people were. And I, there's a sense of good community here, so I expect many of you are onto this earlier than me. But it's still good since you're stuck with me for another 10 minutes. Weigh it up. Reset the compass. You've got a little while to think about what's really important. You've got a little while to think about what Jesus said is the big. Issue. This 1 Corinthians 13, it's such a great passage. Functions in a number of ways. It lists here, it's really given us a checklist, isn't it? Are we a loving person? Right, put yourself in this passage. It's going to be probably awful and let's hear a lot further down the track than me. Who'd like to volunteer their name? alright, I'm going to pick on Mark because that's who I know know best Mark is patient put your name in the passage, Mark is patient, Mark is kind, Mark doesn't envy, Mark doesn't boast Mark isn't proud, Mark isn't rude, Mark isn't self-seeking Mark is not easily angered Mark doesn't keep a record of wrongs, Mark doesn't delight in evil but Mark rejoices in the truth. Mark always protects people. He always trusts people. He always hopes for people. And he perseveres. Can you stick your name in there? You're supposed to. The Lord's been kind enough to give us a checklist to see how we're progressing. How do you take on these traits, by the way? course you've got to think about them of course you've got to have an awareness and be looking to bring them into your life but how do you get them into your life now the tough thing is that it's usually in the moments of life that are opposite to these isn't it i don't know how your prayer life works but my prayer life mostly works trying to pray away every difficult issue of life is that how you're like I'm in a financial problem here, Lord. Please take it away. Give me money. Or I'm feeling stressed. God, please take this stressor away. I'm feeling frustrated. God, please stop this frustration from happening so I won't feel frustrated. Is that how you go? You're all far more godly than me. No, nobody's nodding. (laughs) These are the opportunities to take on. When I'm feeling impatient... That's my moment to take on patience. You know, if, if you're really frustrated today and you're getting impatient, Sunday's a great day to ask the question because so many of you got frustrated waiting for your partner to get ready for church, true? Or to get in the car, or it's always a mess, and thank goodness there's forgiveness at church because the getting ready process and and getting here on time is, you know, alerts us to some things we don't really want to know about ourselves often. The opposite moments are how you take these things on board and often they're wasted. The moment of frustration and impatience is a moment you've got to step back into yourself and go, right, I'm taking patience on board. I'm going to learn it in this moment. I'm feeling impatient. This is an opportunity to become patient. No matter how tricky this is, I'm, I'm just stepping back. My response is going to be Patience. And so on through this entire list. You you can only get these things through the opposite moments. That's why I don't think God always takes them away when we pray, God, release me from this thing because it's there to grow you. Are you going to take your moment? There's so many places we could go to think about how do we become that person. One more that bears paying attention to, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, would suggest to me that just hanging out with God if you're really intimate with Him, you're spending your time with Him, it says you're being filled with the Spirit, some of these things are going to begin to well up in you. If they don't come spontaneously and begin to flow out of you, if nothing else, your conscience will be heightened and the Holy Spirit will be putting His finger on you and say, this has got to change. You won't be able to do the opposites quite so easily. There's so many places, but... 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, great places to go. I don't want to kid you. This is something that's going to take some effort and some focus. I think the devil enjoys the fact we're inoculated to this. I think he's happy that we're so focused on giftedness. It's so hard to shake our culture. A while ago, I had a sick day and desperately bored. I flicked on the telly at midday and started, I'm sorry guys, I've let the team down, but I was watching Oprah. (laughs) And they had on, which continued, this is my excuse that I continue to watch, fellas. They had Billy Crystal and Robin Williams on there. Really funny guys. So that's my excuse. I kept watching. and. Um, my apologies to anyone from the States here, but, um, I do find America, I mean, we Aussies have got plenty of faults, we're lazy, we're yobbos, we're loud, I know all that. Uh, when I look at my friends from the States, you get, guys get really excited about your celebrities, and the people on this show were just adoring Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and calling them heroes and fantastic, and it really got gooey, and, this is crazy, the guys just tell jokes and people are just fawning over them and you know just about crying with delight that they're in the same room as Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and at the end of the show uh, Robin Williams and Billy Crystal are standing there and everyone's giving them a round of applause we love you, Billy we love you Robin it's just making me sick to be honest and uh, then the credits started to roll and I thought oh thank goodness for that, we're nearly at the end but just before the show closed out, a woman stood up in the audience and lifted up this rather dishevelled looking lady, overweight, greasy hair, poorly dressed. And she said, you know what? This woman is a real hero. She's given up her life to care for my disabled mother. When she was 18, my mother had a terrible accident. She's been in a wheelchair now for I forget how many years, let's say 20 years. She was an older lady now. She'd given up her whole life. She said, My sister's missed out on marriage. She's missed out on friends. She's missed out on a career just to care for our mom. She's a hero. And Billy Crystal and Robin Williams got up on their chairs and said, We're not heroes. That lady is a real hero and they started to give her a standing ovation and the whole room stood up and began cheering for this lady and I just about was weeping watching it, just thinking for one split second the world is flashing onto the screen Jesus values. What's a real hero? It's not heroic to accumulate a bunch of money or have a big house, that's just serving yourself. For somebody to give their life over to another person, I'm th- saying, thank you, God. Just for a split second as these credits roll, we're going to see your values, Jesus. The real hero is getting some credit here. Someone who spent their life on the right stuff. And What's the payoff if we put into this? What's going to be the payoff? Because it's not an easy thing to really go after being a person of love, becoming a really loving person that enables other people to feel love? What's going to be the payoff? Well, corporately, Acts 2.42 and following is an interesting verse about the early church. It says, they all sold their stuff and had everything in common. And when someone was in need, they gave to them. There's incredible community and love. And it says at the end of that little section, And the Lord added to their number daily. You know what? I would be excited if I was you guys, being right early days in a church, because right now you are setting the culture of what this thing will become long term. And they're already good signs. I'm horrified to say I went to a church a little while ago. I sat there for 14 weeks and the upfront ministry was great. There was a young church plant. There were only 30 people in the room and it took 14 weeks before someone said hello. I was here 14 seconds this morning and someone said hello. That's a great sign. It's a good sign. You know, if you could get in your DNA and you need to factor this in early, you need to go after this as individuals, but you need to also go after it as a church. Because if we're supposed to be expert at anything as believers, as a community of God, we're supposed to be expert on love, aren't we? Jesus has just told us this is the main gig, this is the main deal. When people walk in here, we cannot let them leave without feeling loved. They've got to come here, and even if they don't agree with everything that's said, they've got to walk out of here feeling something. If I go to that place, I feel safe, I feel peace, all the things that you, I feel forgiven, I don't feel judged. I can trust those people with my heart and my hurts. I feel loved. One of the happiest moments of my life as a pastor was uh, sitting in our little church down at Corumbin there. And, uh, well, this story came back to me later at the end of church, but a lady and a husband had come into church. They hadn't been to a church, if ever it wasn't, for many, many years. Came in sat there for 10 minutes and then they decided to give up and the lady walked out and headed down the path and one of the girls got up and chased her down the front path, <laughs> caught up with them and said, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on, I haven't had a chance to say hello to you yet, you can't leave yet. And in that conversation, that conversation led to that lady giving a life to Jesus her life totally transformed. Later, her husband became a believer. Her two children came to the Lord. Now that lady, uh, I'm looking around for a lady with a good tan because this lady now owns a company, Eco Tan, if you've ever used their program, their products. And she gives so much of her money around the world and pays for people doing missions all around the world, all because one girl thought, I'm not letting that person escape without feeling loved. And I can tell you, when that, I repeated that story many times across the life of our church because I just felt like, thank you, God. Somehow this message has got through that we cannot let people escape unloved. If they come in here, there could be many things they're disappointed with, but not that. They cannot leave without knowing they're loved. What's the payoff individually? Because when Jesus tells us to do some, something, when he gives us a command, we've often got this crazy idea, oh, Jesus, again, something else I've got to do? But those of you who are parents will know, whenever you tell your child to do something, it's not because you want to test out their obedience, or you want to make it some better for the kid next door. You want things to go well for them, don't you? You want your kids to suck the marrow out of life to get all the good stuff to get the best life they can win, and when God the Father says it to you, His son or His daughter, He's saying it so you will get the best life possible. It's not like love others because they you know we just need to do that stuff, folks. And I want to see if you're going to do what I said. He's saying it because individually the payoff for you is sensational. I don't know if you've ever read the classic story of Faust who makes a deal with the devil. Says, I'll sell you my soul if you give me the power to, do, to find the ultimate joy and satisfaction of life. Deal's done. There's an agreement. Faust accumulates enormous wealth, incredible vast sums of money, but he feels empty. He has the power to seduce a beautiful woman, the most attractive woman he's ever seen. He seduces her and he feels empty. Then somehow he gets caught up in a situation where he finds himself helping the poor in a moment of disaster. He's reclaiming land and and helping them to build homes where he's got somewhere to live. And he's so satisfied in that moment, he speaks out to the devil and says, let this be the moment that lasts forever. And with that, the devil has his soul. It's ironic, isn't it? Because right now, the stuff that Jesus is saying is only to satisfy your soul. But we're so easily led by our culture into something that will never fill us. It looks so good and it winds up empty. There's a big payoff when you become a loving person. It like doubles back right on you. I know it's counterintuitive in giving yourself away. You find yourself in doing for others. You find joy for yourself. But Jesus is the guy that put you together. He knows how it functions. Well, I want to invite you with me this morning to commit yourself to resetting your face towards this goal. Reset your sail, check your rudder, have a look at the compass and make sure that you're spending your life on what Jesus said is important. Not just because you're facing him at the end of this life or someone's going to make some comment when you're dead because that won't help you. But because it's going to get the best out of life for you. Wonderful things are going to happen inside you and wonderful things are going to happen around you. Can I pray for you now? Lord God, so much of what you put here in in your word is just so opposite to what we naturally think. I want to ask you to bust through the inoculation that just rests on this theme of love. Break through to us, Lord. Put a, a new burden on our hearts Help us to go after just being a person like you. When people were in your presence, they felt so great, so wonderful. They said no one spoke like you. They were changed in your presence. They felt safe with you. We want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be representations of you, not not just those who talk about you. We want to be like you. We want to carry your presence. And when people walk in this door here on a Sunday morning, we want them to experience you, to know they're loved, that we could be your hands and feet and bring you the blessing of your presence and your love on them. In Jesus' name, amen.